Welcome to Backyard Philosophy, a podcast where a couple friends grab some cold ones, sit around the fire, and talk about science, philosophy, and history. Crack one open, sit back, and get a good laugh as we discuss everything from automation to why the meaning of life is 42. We're going to talk about a moral dilemma I have regarding land management and invasive species and how, what plants should be there, what plants shouldn't be there, who's going to pay for it, whose responsibility is it. We got three people on the podcast today. A first, this is Nick talking. I'm drinking some 1835 bourbon made in Tejas, which is where we're sitting. We got Dan here, first time on the podcast. Dan, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Well, first off, I'd like to say thank you guys for inviting me on the podcast because I am definitely nowhere near qualified to talk about this current topic. Uh, but currently I'm drinking some Jack Daniels because uh, Mike says that Corona is just a little too trashy. But uh, what about you, Mike? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking some Old Forester because I am classy and I drink Corona like a little bitch. But overall, I'm doing good. I'm happy we're in Texas. It's warm. No more cold. And... Nick, this is a delicate question, but definitely in your wheelhouse. So why don't you begin? All right. So here's our dilemma. So we recently did a clear cut, a harvest around this area, not in the area. So the ground I'm talking about, I'm talking about, we have an acre and a half of grassland because trees can't grow there. It's too wet. All right. It's too wet for trees. So you're pretty much only going to get grass. Is this lowland or does it just happen to be too wet? Is it like on a hill or? It's just the drainage where it's at it's it's near the stream but it shouldn't be it's just one of those change not in the ideal landscape. locations for it yeah it's not ideal location for a forest and you need a patchwork of landscapes to create good habitat for deer and elk browse grass is essential for their survival it's a place of constant nourishment so the problem is we replant we cut around it and we replanted it and we tried to replant this area but it's so wet, it's too wet for the trees to grow. Some trees took hold, but not all of them. And it's pretty much gonna be grassland just because of how wet it is. We planted some species, tree species that are more used to the wet soil. And some of them are gonna take, but some aren't. Now the problem is Himalayan blackberry. It's an invasive species, that same delicious blackberry everyone loves to eat. It's not supposed to be here. Left unchecked, this blackberry is going to overtake all the grass, and it's just—it's not going to be useful for the deer or elk. It's going to be just a thing of blackberry. You can't walk in there. It's all—you know—it's got thorns. Now there's water flowing through it. For this scenario, is this public or private? Because I want to know what the end goal is for planting trees in this location. Excellent question. So this is private ground. This is private timber company ground. It's the objective of this ground is to grow trees. Now, that being said, as a private timber company, we still care about the environment. We don't want this ground to just be invasive species. I mean, no one does. Like, that's the thing about invasive species. They're not preferred. So we're essentially, all of us are losing this ground no matter what, because it's either, you know, we're trying to plant it well, the trees, what they do is they're going to grow and they're going to crowd out that blackberry, ideally, or the blackberry is going to crowd out the grass. But to me, it seems like the grass is leaving either way. Now, we have a few things. So we can treat individually the Himalayan blackberry with an herbicide that kills just that blackberry and it can keep the grass there. The problem is 
blackberries, the seeds out there. We're never going to get rid of it unless we go through with a fine tooth comb. We're not going to do that. Now, management wise, you have a few ways to continue this. Like I said, we planted all trees, grows into a forest. You're still losing that grassland, not preferred for the deer and elk and just biodiversity. Well, do nothing turns into a blackberry patch, not preferred. Now, the ideal scenario is we come in, we every two, three years, we treat the blackberries, keep it a grassland. We cannot treat, we cannot use herbicides within 10 feet of water. Now it's a small area, it's an acre and a half. You can use some kind of digging tool, a shovel, machete. You can kill the blackberry every so often so that the grassland stays a grassland, but you'll never completely get rid of it with the technology we have today. So my question is, are Objective is obviously to make money grow trees. We're a timber company. That being said, we're hunters. We enjoy deer and elk. People come on our land, they enjoy shooting deer and elk. Ideally, it'd be a grassland. It's not going to be support trees, but we have this invasive species. We can't treat with herbicide, which is the cheapest way to do it. You can do it manually. It costs more, but you'll never get rid of it. So do you think the state should step in? When we kind of like CRP, we let the state handle this. Now, what do you guys think about like I said, just turning it into planting a bunch of trees. Is that the right answer? So if I'm dealing with this from a private perspective, which I, since it's private land and it's private business, I think this should still deal with the companies, should not involve the federal government. My first scenario is going in with a torch, a controlled burn, burn everything, get rid of the blackberry. That way we control and maybe plant some deep rooting grass so that way it can help soak in the water so maybe on the higher end away from the river you can plant in some like water-based trees but the first things first should be on the individual private organization not the federal government secondly i think a controlled burn or just you know granted it might be the pyromaniac in me of hey get the flame flowers out because i mean like you said nick you can't get the blackberry berries so burn it all do a controlled burn get rid of it all it's a wetland so i'm not too worried about an uncontrolled burn and such like private lands probably could be done quite efficiently and then replant grassland for the hunters farmers and if you can now that there's less competition for blackberries plant some trees like a like a i don't know the trees in that like a, a cedar or a, a, like a willow or something. willow like yeah, yeah they're more wet species that can survive with wetter soils but something preferably native to that territory so that way we're not introducing other native uh invasive species or something something along those lines of like you said with cedar and willow and such and such but just native to that area native grass that way you get the best of both worlds granted that land it's not gonna be high production of trees but something's better than nothing yeah no obviously i definitely do not have any sort of uh experience or uh, qualifications to talk about this but this probably is just the, the business person to me i mean do you guys have a timetable as to when you would want to like or need to get that project done be- so uh so when we plant around it we generally we're going to come back and harvest those trees around there in 30 40 years what from a purely business perspective not morals at all the objective would be to plant trees to reduce the invasive species that are going to harm more trees because the blackberries are going to grow a lot faster than our trees are going to overcrowd them. It's going to make it, it won't make it, it's, uh, it's harmful to our business. You know, every acre has value. So if we can put trees there, we're going to get a return there. Now it's it's not like a, what you think a classic swampland. So it's not wet all the year, which is why we're allowed to go in there with equipment, but it is wet most of the year. It's wetter than the surrounding soil just based on drainage. And so to me, the, the big question is morally from like a, a land perspective, like the right thing to do is 
is kind of unclear because we have we don't want it to be invasive we want it to be diverse we need grassland planting trees kind of takes up some of that light resource takes it away from the invasive species we can't operate within certain feet of water with herbicides to get rid of it so we're kind of st stuck in this area of we can't grow trees here but we can't really do anything else so how do we and, and as a business and i'm sure we're gonna people are gonna say this is not correct as a business we we can't be spending all of our time trying to get rid of invasive species so to that point i guess like what i was trying to to get after was you know depending on the timetable of like when you guys would need to get the trees planted so that they have the best chance to grow what i would say is you know i mean is there any chance for you guys to get any sort of like locals or you know like kind of free help whether it's internships or i don't know geologists or What's the proper term for someone who, you know, investigates volunteers? Very, well, not volunteers. I'm talking like specifically like, you know, like a botanist like, or, like a something. Botanist or yeah. something along, along those lines. You know, if they would be willing to go and kind of go in there and do the manual labor themselves. And if that was able, like, you know, if they were able to go in, you know, a couple days a week for a month. And then at that point, it was relatively clear so that you guys could start planting. I know you were just talking that it, the trees do have a long time and that, at, you know, to begin to get growing and that obviously the berries would overrun them. But if there was a chance that you guys would be able to get free labor so that your company's not wasting that time and you're quote unquote following the ethical principles, so you're not using herbicides, you're not, you know, maybe obviously you guys are very skilled at what you do, but you're not taking any un unnecessary risk with like flamethrowers like Mike was talking about. I mean, no, I'm just, just saying. But I mean, if I like was, fire. I know you do, and I do too. But you know, just trying to think of it from from that perspective. I mean, if you were able to kind of get the free labor, so you guys can continue to expand in other areas, but then come back to this spot that you guys are, you know, mm -hmm. like okay, we we definitely should and need to build trees here for our business. You know, if you guys could go that route, I don't know if that's feasible for you based on your operating cycles, but no, I, I do. That's actually like a really good idea. I like that because that that's a problem we have with the timber industry. Working in natural resources, we see a lot of uh, uh, activists who, you know, want to protect the environment. But when it comes up, steps up to the plate of like who's doing the work, we oftentimes foot the bill for doing this kind of work and still being branded as the bad guys. It'd be nice to give these people who want to help the environment a chance to, to do that. And then it's not no money out of our pocket. Everyone benefits. That's honestly like that's a really good idea. I'm really I like that. I do have a question. Uh, is the invasive blackberry, is it mainly passed through scat for birds and deer, or is it can it be passed through the water? Because you did say it's near a river. I think it's uh, probably mainly passed through scat. Blackberries, bears really enjoy it, and deer will eat the leaves on the... So we have creeping blackberry, which is a, a native blackberry species, but this Himalayan blackberry, I think the deer will eat as well. They'll eat the leaves, but they won't eat the, the berries, but the bears like sweet things, you know, bears eat berries. They'll spread it around, and you can tell, like, if you're walking around in the woods, and there's no reason a blackberry should be there. Typically, invasive species spread along the road systems, cars, people running over, gets shot out of the wheel somewhere, and you'll find it in the middle of nowhere. You look around, there's usually bear shit all around it's where bears like to go so i'd say once it gets past the roads bears are the ones spreading it around and my second caveat is like you mentioned the blackberry has the turn rate of growing much faster than most trees is there a native species you can use to that has a, like, a, like a shrubbery or something to take up the land space to help prevent it 
So that way you're using a short tree, which in the long term can keep blackberry out. And you could also in the short term use it to solidify the land so you don't have to remove any invasive species so you can plant other stuff. So you can use like a, not like a, like a bush tree, a small tree to just prevent blackberry. And then long term, like if the landscape changes, you plant in more trees once the land becomes dry or just something, a preventive measure that is much easier to grow than a traditional tree. A shrubbery? Me. Yeah, no, that's definitely an option. You know, like different species respond differently to the amount of water. So you could plant some sedges and stuff there that are more adapted to the water. That's definitely an, an option. The Like I said, again, the problem is industry standard. We don't really plant anything other than trees. So that would be like Dan saying some volunteers come in or we have some kind of system to help us buy that. We're really like... Like I said, I plant trees. I don't plant other species, but that's something I've kind of thought about, especially with road edges of planting some kind of species that is native and fast growing, but not doesn't grow up tall. That prohibits view long getting a little bit off topic, but yeah, that that's Prevent. definitely preventative. Yeah, that would something that grows a little bit faster. Now, the problem is there's not that many things that grow faster than an invasive species. And that's part of the issue. The pretty much we're trying to limit something to grow faster than the invasive species there really isn't that much because everything else is adapted dealing with certain enemies there's a certain kind of standardish growth rate and so you lose and gain a certain amount and invasive species are so deadly because they don't have predators so whatever we plant that's native has to account for predators whereas this invasive species all the energy that's going into defense doesn't they can kind of take that out because they're not being preyed upon but i i do like the planting invasive species one that that is an option. Now, we're planting a native species, even planting an invasive that's not as deadly. So say, potentially, what if we planted another grass species that's not native, but still counts as deer elk browse? That just goes faster than the native grasses. Now, again, you have to be careful when introducing non-natives to the environment. So two things. I don't think that's a good idea because, well, grass has a quite fast rate of spreading, and I imagine this could be grazing land. They have a high chance of getting their scat and spreading out. So I, I don't think that's a good idea. But I do have a question for Dan with the volunteer work. I'm not quite familiar with how close it is to a road or how far it is for a volunteer to travel. If it's close, absolutely. Because I can see like a big thing for all of us growing up was um, a, a forest preserve where you can go and clean help. It was, it, it, it was a very common thing to do. But... I'm not going to lie, if I have to travel three hours and hike and get to it, I feel like I'm not going to do that. And I feel like a lot of other people aren't going to do that. So maybe that's, we have a multiple implement plan. So close land, volunteers, far land. I'm curious about inland where it's harder for a volunteer to get into. And since Danny brought volunteer, I'd be curious to see what your opinion is on that. Well, you know, again, just based off of Nick, you know, stating that they, you know, want to follow the proper guidelines, you know, ethical, you know, that the code, so to speak, with with their with their industry. I mean, I was just kind of looking, you know, more the litigious side, so that you know, avoid those kind of issues. But at the same time, again, they're they're talking about not wasting any resources, like individuals. Like, I'm sure what you guys could easily do at some point is send somebody out with a digger and like dig out that area so that it doesn't grow past a certain point. But then again, if you know any sort of animals get in there, it can still spread. Like the animal will cross that little trench. So, you know, but I mean, obviously my original idea would have to be predicated on that. It's fairly easy to get to, but at the same time, I think that if, you know, you know, social media is cheap and easy, you don't have to, you know, you can pay somebody, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty cheaply to like post. You're and asking make sure a lot getting... there for foresters to be good at social media. Hey, it, you know, can I... confirm good buddy. <laughs> 
hey you know that's and that's fine but you have a cheap intern that can take care of the social media at the same time you know someone who's just out just starting out but is fairly versed in you know the technology the low man told moral exactly you know if that's their if that's their job if somebody's able to get the word out there without spending a lot you know like so you're not paying for radio tv ads or printing out anything it's, you know you're just posting to social media and you know just the internet in general if you do your part that way and people are willing to volunteer and make the trek even if it is a you know hey it's a it's an hour drive then an hour and a half or so hike and you know that's going to be a few hours of work probably for a couple of days if they're willing to do that then no matter what you know nick's company has definitely done their job and you know trying to stick to the code of ethics you know that they have to adhere to and just you know environmental laws but it, it really depends on the individuals who would be willing to do that work i mean I, like again i was trying to think of okay how do we not have them spend an unnecessarily unnecessary amount of money or put resources just in somewhere that it's going to affect other operations on a day-to-day but you know, ultimately, still, you know, achieve their goal at some point down the road. I want to piggyback on what Dan says because I'm thinking you could very easily do a pro quo quo. Uh, since it's private land, people aren't allowed to, usually to hike it because it, you know it's private land. If volunteers volunteer, they might get free access to go hike in the woods, some land that's mostly not public, and not that might be a great incentive for people. And my other secondary thought would be, why does it have to be grasses? Could we possibly use weeds? Weeds are tend to be high survival rate grow use a native weed that i feel like would very easily take over the land and still not highly affect the ecosystem yeah so two things uh, remind me to get back to weeds and grasses if i get off topic so yeah the the land this land that we're talking about specifically is pretty close to a road so it's pretty easy access and that is something okay so a private timber company we put up gates to keep people out now we keep people out because one the main one is people kids have a tendency to just four wheel across our roads just people are awful yeah just destroy our roads which we need to replant trees do do our operations and dump people dump trash just a lot of bad things come with open access now at the same time we don't want like us personally we don't sit around and be like how do we keep people from our grounds that's we sit around like okay we have time to do this this and this and as people do more harm to our ground it's easier for us to put up a gate than constantly be picking up trash it sucks i know we close off all that land and sometimes public land is behind that but there's nothing we can do there but if they're a volunteer i'm going to assume they enjoy the environment and they're not going to be litters which are god-awful people so right so the point i'm getting is we have these gates up and I, i'm not trying to say we'll open the gates if you guys do this for us but it would be an interesting system of okay we this these are our private lands if you guys come in and you take care of these native grounds you remove the invasive weeds for us in this area that's again doesn't help us financially at all as a timber company we get paid to grow trees growing grasses is something we do for the environment doesn't help us financially at all if we let these guys come in take ownership of the land they get rid of these invasive species for us in this area help us out we'll help them out we open it up for them to hunt during the hunting season now each timber company is different not everyone does this our company the company i work for they open up a lot of their land for hunters during the hunting season just because we want to create goodwill but that's i think that's something that could be explored too of it's not i don't want again it, it sounds like we're forcing people to help us and I, that's not what i want to get to but that seems like a pretty good incentive at the same time of hey like 
look, we have these issues with the environment. Labor is expensive. We at, we don't want to fuck over the environment, but at the same time, we can't afford to be doing all this work for something that doesn't benefit us financially because we are a business. So I'm not a big fan of communism, but it seems like a very symbiotic relationship of, hey, you do some work, we allow you to hunt to get your own resources. It It's very help your own neighbor-ish, but it's still, at the end of the day, everyone looking for themselves. So you can help the environment and still help yourself at the same time. And at the same time, like Nick was mentioning, just building a solid relationship, you know, and just kind of forging that bond. I mean, if you were able to do that with, you know, fairly, I don't know how many, you know, activists or, you know, just groups are in your area specifically, but there are plenty across the country and across the world. I mean, if you were able to, you know, forge a bond or at least, you know, start, you know, to build those relationships with individuals like that. I mean, I don't know how many issues you guys might have with many protests on your lands or causing issues. I don't know. But maybe you, you know, kind of ease any tensions that you may or may not, you know, incur on a daily basis. And again, like we're here, yes, we're here to make money, but again, we care about the environment. And, you know, unfortunately this is not something we, that we, you know, we can spend all of our time and resources on and we would appreciate it if you were to, you know, help us out. You know, we are willing to work with you and listen to you on certain topics or certain issues. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And that's, so to kind of give you guys a breakdown. So we, we're an industrial forest ground. So we interact with the same people, people who public landowners interact with. We have everyone from quote unquote hippies to people who just want to come and ride dirt bikes on our ground. And each of those people, you know, if we own land that's people want a dirt bike on, I could see a relationship being formed there of like, hey, like we understand you guys want to recreate. We get it. I mean, I know we have foresters who do the same thing in our company. They just want to ride their dirt bikes around. And I, who doesn't? So we can work something out. We want to, our main thing as a forest products industry is we want to educate people about the environment, right? We want to explain to people why we don't want petroleum products near the water. We don't want ruts formed during the wet season. We want to minimize the impact of human interaction on the environment. So we do things when it's safe and that we as a company and just as foresters, I mean, no one gets into forestry if they don't love being outside. We want to value the environment. So using this relationship, like Dan, you guys brought up of a relationship between the, like the people who want to come on the land and us was saying, Hey, like, yeah, like we're going to open this up for you. Some kind of agreement. This is like your chores list, essentially. Like you, you guys help us out with this and we'll let you come ride your dirt bikes or pick mushrooms, pick strawberries, pick blackberries, whatever it is you want to do. We can work with you. If you work with us, you quite literally reap what you sow. That's uh, very good. Uh, this is kind of a little off topic, but going back to your original problem. What about changing the soil? Could you possibly add more in rocks to make it more solidified ground? Could you, I, I don't know the laws of changing a river. Could you possibly divert it a little bit? Financially, it doesn't make sense to change where the water is flowing. It's, you got to have machinery come in or bring soil in and, and we move soil around a lot. So it's not really that it's more of just a lot of work for no results. It's a lot of work for little results. Like it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we'll break even. So, and we do that in forestry all the time. We'll do, you have a big, like a snowstorm come through, which happened to us recently. Mike, you know all about snowstorms. We're in Texas. Be careful. Big snowstorm comes through. It knocks out a lot of trees. So what do we, we come or in power. or power. <laughs> It, same thing happened to us like last year. We just didn't get making the news. And uh, so we came in, you know, we cut the trees that we had a company come in. They cut all the trees that broke off halfway. Different species, different trees, genetics. It's all come down to genetics, essentially. Different trees can survive different stressors. These trees didn't. We come in, we cut them. We recouped some of the, some of the rewards from that. We didn't really make a lot of money, 
but we did remove fuel from the landscape, which is kind of an insurance when it comes to wildfire. So in a sense, like, yeah, like nature comes in and happens and it, and it kind of messes things up, but you got to be prepared for that. But as a forest products industry, take taking an L on m- money isn't like the, it's not uncommon. Yeah. What about flooding it? So stay with me. This might be a crazy idea, but if you put trees underneath the water, they don't rot because there's no oxygen. It, it, they're waterlogged, but they you can dry them out and they don't rot. Those They stay away forever. So if you flood that ground and so you store logs there so when you, and it's right next to the river, so you can simply, when you need them, flood them on down the river. So you sink them and you just use it as a storage capacity for timber. So that's pretty frowned upon, not going to lie. Why? We don't move logs down the river anymore because they tend to scrape up the river bottom, which is what salmon and steelhead use to move upstream. Uh, Japan, actually, they do similar thing to what you're talking about. Now, in the United States, you'll see big log decks of just logs stacked on top of logs with sprinklers that keep put water on them to reduce decomposition. In Japan, what they do is they'll lay them out in the bay, put cords all across them, and then sink them, and they go down. And then when they need them, press a button they pop right up to the surface because they float bring them up saw them she's a witch if she floats exactly now the problem with that is estuaries which is where these are mainly stored they're pretty a biodiverse region the united states we don't really want to mess with that we want to let native species flourish we'd rather pump the water up spray them honestly either way right or wrong it's everything humans do we interact in the environment some way you, it's hard to say this is right and this is wrong japan they're using a lot less materials to store their trees but they're taking away native habitat from the species it's really just a matter of opinion of what's right and what's wrong but i i don't think now to be fair if we did flood it no more blackberry that's an that is an idea because you could build up berms you create standing water you create a pool so what you're doing there you create a pool of water which not only wildlife habitat, okay, you have a lot of music species, wet species there. So you have a lot of salamanders, insects, stuff frogs, like- Frogs, et cetera, et cetera. Frogs, et cetera. But you also have wildfire season. You have water storage. During the summer, you need water. You just back up, fill with your draft hose. And you have water available right there. That That is an option. I mean, you could, in that way, Himalayan blackberries, invasive species, they don't grow underwater. So that honestly is an option. Uh, sorry, Dan, I don't mean to interrupt, but what about uh, this? Is this will kind of be a fuel source, but cover the land with bark because I know that's quite common to do for if you want to stop growing weeds or something like that. Cover it with bark and stuff like that. Um, I, I I don't really see that being a viable solution, but I'm just throwing it out there for shits and giggles. Yeah, no, that's definitely something that you could do. That's uh, pretty common in California. They have. All right, so we should definitely not do that then. You're not wrong. Uh, Yikes. <laughs> California, just because their regulations, they have a lot of crazy ideas. So they do a lot of crazy things with bark, trying to re- reuse that fuel, that bioenergy, that resource. Um, the thing with bark is you'll oftentimes see... So when logs are processed on a landing, they'll not really as much in the uh, northwest, but more like in the southeast on your neck of the woods. In the ban in the banjo territory, they'll use a debarker. It's less weight goes to the log yard. Anyway, you'll oftentimes see invasive species like blackberry pop up through the bark. Now that's the thing about invasive species; it's they're hard to kill. That's why they're invasive. So they'll pop up through. Now, essentially, what you're doing now, if you lay down enough bark, nothing will grow. Which again is an op. It's the same thing as the water. Nothing's going to grow. It's an option. Now, the bark will add more to the soil. 
it'll eventually decompose, become soil. The problem is I just see more invasives coming up through the bark than than grass. Just based on personal experience, it's hard to get rid of them. Well, I'm going to defer to your experience because, uh, yeah, for obvious reasons of a engineer in Texas versus a forester in the Northwest. I'm going to go with the forester in the Northwest knowing about more about trees. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though. It's like there's the morally, like we know what's morally right, that we kill these plants, right? We come in and we kill them. Now, like I like Dan's idea, like I really do, of volunteers doing it because that pits us and environmentalists, two enemies, against a common thread, invasive species. Both of us hate them. The labor is hard. And I'm just talking about one specific area, but as a company, say I control, I don't want to throw out numbers and be liable for whatever, so I'm going to throw out a rough number that is no way in shape related to form to anything I manage. Let's say 200,000 acres. We probably have like 200 acres of, of this kind of ground, of questionable ground of, we can't grow trees here, we can grow grass, what do we do? And some of it's right next to a road, like we said, some of it's fucking, you gotta hike your ass down the bottom of the woods to get to it. Not all of it we can get volunteers to. Now, how do we manage that? If I can add on to Dan's brilliant idea, what about prisoners or delinquent youth? Like, make it like a program, so to speak. That is something, and I'll get to it later on, but I mean, getting attention to your company and, you know, again, at least in this case, like Mike's saying, trying to turn somebody's life around. And, you know, they say no publicity is bad publicity as long as they get your name right. But, I mean, if you're really trying to do something right, I mean, I think Mike's definitely on the right track with that one. What about turning into an addict program? Nothing says stop doing drugs like being away from everything drug-related into the middle of the woods. And on top of that, as long as you had, you know, your company wasn't responsible for overseeing the individuals. Like, you might have one, say, foreman or, you know, manager there watching, but they had their own company, like, whether it's parole officers or whoever, you're, like, watching these folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, you're mitigating, you know, your resources. Like, you know, you're limiting the amount of resources that you're putting towards it. So, I mean, if it's one person's, you know, salary for a day or two a week, you know, you're definitely... Yeah, Nick, Oregon has tons of drugs legal. I mean, there's tons of addicts. Those are tons of free labor. And we're trying to pass a bill to help those addicts. So yeah, no, that's actually a really good idea. And I'm I'm a huge fan of convict labor. Um, Wildland fire is pretty... Why'd you look at me when you said that? Well, because you're the most likely convict, which is surprising. (laughs) Thanks. But no, like convict labor, a huge fan of because you get a skill out of it, right? Like you come in... Whatever you whatever you did to become a convict, whatever. At the end of the day, you come out with an actual skill. You become more marketable. You can create a career out of your time in prison. I mean, that's like reformation. So let's go back to, I believe, what we were talking about last night. I mean, you were literally saying how you are severely limited in terms of, you know, bodies to do the job. Uh, what I was going to get at before Mike brought up his wonderful idea of, you know, using convict labor what I was going to say is, obviously, if you're able to form a you know positive relationship with the local activists and anybody who is just who sees the forestry company at you know an industry, excuse me, as as the enemy, as someone who is not to be trusted, you know, if you form that relationship, whether it's through social media or you know, you even go like big campaign style, I, I don't know how quote unquote hard up for cash you guys are, but I mean, I don't know if like new clients you could use all that kind of stuff. Obviously, if you increase your advertising in some way, shape, or form, and especially if you're doing a good project like using you know reforming people or just you know working well with the local activists that's killer but we also talked about yesterday again getting a little off topic you know at least our opinions on education i know you guys have done already done a podcast on education and what how the system should be shaped or could be shaped to better you know um prepare people for the work world especially when people come out of you know school with zero job prospects you know they're just in a very saturated market 
but I really just building towards Mike's idea. If you were to, you know, use convict labor or even, you know, just troubled youth, some way, shape or form, addicts, what have you. If you were able to build a program, start a program and ultimately reform these individuals and give them marketable skills, as you were saying, but at the same time, fill the need for individuals to do the job that you guys, and like you said, you guys are severely understaffed for what you could be doing. I mean, across your industry, maybe not just your company, but across the industry. Yeah. That'd be definitely something. Okay. We're going to, A, we're going to form bonds with the community and just, and just make sure that people know that we are not the bad guys. We Mm -hmm. may do things, you know, that you guys might not like, but we are obviously always doing it in the best interest of the environment as well as our own personal interests. But you could literally form your own new employee training program through that. Now, obviously, you know, maybe you don't you don't hire these activists because they don't want to do the job. But I mean, at least with Mike's, uh, you know, great suggestion, if you were able to reform individuals, whether they're young and made mistakes or older and could definitely use work, that would definitely be a nice at least starting point and teaching them and at least getting them you know, aware of your industry. Because I guarantee, like, obviously, before you started working in this industry, that was something that I didn't even think of. Yeah, I mean, we all we all went to high school together in, like, the suburbs, so, like, none of us are environmental activists. Like, we we grew up in the suburbs. Like, this is something we're all kind of learning now. Absolutely. Well, and, and, like, you've been doing this for how many years now? I've only been, like, three and a half, four years, something like that. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Well, and so, to to that point, you know, so you've been doing this for three and a half, four years, how how soon, either during college or post-college, I mean, we've only been out of school for, what, four years now, so since you graduated school, I mean, when did you really learn about that, that industry? I mean, you only learned about it in school, so within the past eight years and you've been doing it for four i mean that goes i mean to me like that goes to show how many people really don't know anything about you know the forest forestry you know you know production industry at, at like at all yeah no that's a that's an excellent point and i again really like that was a, i really enjoyed the idea of like you said like uh, either convict labor or like pre-labor coming in just like getting the community involved and you know we as a company we can't financially afford to do all this stuff like we and like it it may sound harsh but we're a private company we need to make money if we don't make money we go out of business and then someone else comes in who maybe doesn't care as much like we have people who want to protect the environment like let's keep those guys and do what we need to do but to get the community involved like that's that's kind of what we want to do we want to get people involved as a company if you're familiar with the area we do this thing where we bring school children and we we plant trees with them we teach them how to plant trees and then later they can we put up the big signs like this is the however whatever year school tree planting anniversary and the kids can come back the next 40 years and see i planted those trees like i had this effect on the environment but i think personally the better effect is like i kill those invasive weeds i protect those invasive species i can and then even if they come back and they hunt and they kill a deer and elk around that area and be like i killed this invasive species which caused this deer elk to come feed here and i was able to kill said deer elk that's it when people kill an animal that's a memory that will live with them for a while it's a very primal and like feeling that's something that will live with them for a while and that will reflect with them so two things one why don't we throw everything in the kitchen sink at them why don't we have for the free labor as dan brought up of volunteers you as but well. have volunteers have social programs for drug addicts delinquent youths and have convicts kind of mix them together kind of show that way you're getting a societal base of different backgrounds all mixed together kind of solidifying that hey everyone's got the same goddamn problems but you're also getting triple the labor force and 
and why not do everything you can? And my second thing is why not introduce a native species to the location that you're currently at, like an insect or even a small mammal or even a large animal that can eat the species or destroy the species or help maintain the area. So you have a wetland and so wetland, I think frogs, maybe frogs can help keep the blackberry out of that system. So why not introduce a native species into that area, kind of force growth of a species. So why not why not send everything you got at it, every option, every angle? So what you're talking about has been done. Uh, you're talking about the Civilian Conservation Corps during the uh, the Great New Deal, I believe it's called. I'm blanking on that. But uh, so there's a disease called, um, it's like a, oh, it's a rust fungus. That Does that mainly affect trees, grasses, or? It mainly affects trees. Now, and this, this is the thing, it, it has two hosts. So during the Great New Deal, they paid people in the Pacific Northwest to roam the entire, like literally every single square mile and get rid of one of the hosts of the uh, rust fungus that affected the trees. The problem is at the time, our science, we didn't know that this rust fungus had two hosts. So it breeds on two species and it infects your western white pines, your, your pines. So we had people walk the, in every single mile of Pacific Northwest mountains, pulling one of the hosts. At the time, it wasn't visible, but it did host another species. We we pulled one of the hosts and it reduced the population, but didn't get rid of it because it still had another host. 50% of its breeding ground is still alive. So let's do it again, folks. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's line bag up. No, and that's what we talked about this invasive species. Like ideally, and that's the thing about like robots, right? Drones, cheap labor we can employ forever because we can have these guys, these robots go and pull these invasive species. We're not there yet. We're still facing this problem. We just don't have the technology to completely eliminate it. Whether we can and can't get rid of invasive species is an entirely different topic. We have an entire episode devoted to this, but we're not there right now. So our our problem right now is with the technology that's currently available, what are we going to do. Can we walk the entire mountain and pull the invasive species? Yeah. Can we get the labor to do it? I think that's personally doubtful. But if we if we use like Dan saying the prison labor force more effectively, which we already do use prison labor force for firefighting effect pretty effectively. But if we expanded that, because let's be honest, if you're in prison, I'd rather be working out in the fucking woods every day. I don't care what I'm in prison for. Like get me the fuck out of prison. Like I would rather do shit labor than sit around for eight hours a day. Eight hours is being generous. And also I think Dan's right with the you spearhead with volunteers and you do whatever you can to fill up the whatever slack you need i, I think that the volunteer work is probably the, the spearhead and the point of the of the arrow and, and again mike did point it out it, that you know the volunteer portion really does depend on you know accessibility or at least you know just the ability to get there in general but i mean not to get you know into too into politics and stuff like that but i mean really if your company itself and maybe just more you know forestry companies as a whole are able to really just do more for the community so like, again, we're talking, you know, Mike mentioned it, you know, like reforming individuals and getting jobs and just say like, all right, this small business, you know, even just local company is really, it's focused on the people and the environment, a like government go shove off, you know, um, I mean, at least that's my philosophy. If like local businesses and individuals are really focused on their communities and able to keep oversight out and I'm like, uh, obviously I know you're, you're, you're ready to jump in and you're ready to pounce. I feel you. But I mean, if, if you're, if you're truly able to just, you know, just try like you're actively attempting to get everybody 
everybody on the same page and like you said pitting you know two enemies against a common target so to speak um yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend exactly i mean if if you guys are if you're if your company as a whole is able to just get a group of people together and just at least bond over something even if it's something small mm-hmm. like you know um you know it's 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 great for the community and ultimately it grows i mean shit if the pacific you know northwest is able to really just make the rest of the country look like ass like it already does you know <laughs> like the rest of the country really already is except like, for we're Texas. really good at making ourselves except look like Texas. ass <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i i can obviously not comment on that as well as you can but um i mean seriously if you're able to get everybody on the same page and just kind of get everybody to stop fighting about other trivial bullshit and focus on what's real and what's in front of you again talking about you know keeping natural resources alive taking care of our environment and what we are living with and dealing you know the problems that are facing us now immediately and not you know the trumped up bs that people all the way across the country you know trying to say that is the problem i mean you're like again from stuff that mike's mentioned you mentioned i brought up i mean you're really just going to set yourself up for some good success if you're able to like just at least get everybody on like starting at one point on the same page and just kind of grow from there you know it's i don't know you guys can do a lot and really take it by the horns i have a dumb idea that i think would work fucking time here we go (laughs) so foresters i would say have some tie or at least respect for the military military has national guard military has bombs and napalm (laughs) here we go why not just use the military and private land going, hey, you don't want to test your new jet to launch said bomb, bomb this location and make it a crater. Um, I mean, strictly, I'm, I don't. It uh, would work. I'm, I'm, it would work. I'm speaking out of pocket uh, because I do not have any of the qualifications or you know, education that Nick has uh, in this industry. But I'm just going to say, if you nuke what his company's trying to grow and protect, I'm going to say that Listen, doesn't. I'm it's not, not going to quite work with the activists or his own company. I'm not saying drop Moabs or or any tomahawks, but I am saying, hey, you got a new jet, you already got some military base out there, you need to do training exercise, drop some, you know, carpet bombs in this location. I like the enthusiasm. So it turns out when environmentalists don't like us applying herbicide to kill invasive species, all right, all right, wait, hang on, hang they on. don't like dropping carpet bombs either. We like let- it's kind of like one of their no goes. Like two birds, one stone. We let them protest on the land that they don't want you to do herbicide. Hey, with, hey. and then you let the military. Do- okay, so we don't <laughs> we don't apply herbicide and then we bomb the shit out of it. Hey, I'm, I'm just to my original point. I work. think it- that that would cause some problems as well. Well, so here's here's the problem with that. So what you're doing is you're essentially nuking that soil. So you're you're heat, you're superheating it. Now the problem with superheating soil is invasive species come in because they're more adapted to it. And there's fire adapted species in the Pacific Northwest, but not as much in the area we're talking about. Yep, bullshit. Because we can use explosives that blow above the ground and won't nuke it, and just use sonic boom to fucking disrupt the soil. Because we can blow off the ground whatever height we want. So we can completely use air and pressure force to clear the land and create a crater without using heat okay so here's the thing we're trying to get rid of one and a half to two acres of grassland the trees are like one missile the trees around it we want to keep because they're like seven eight ten fifteen years old and we're going to harvest them eventually to make monies so we don't use rdx so you use use eod instead (laughs) bunker bombs all right all right all right it would work it would work 
Listen, you just don't use RDX. You use like C4. You use a lower impact explosive. Blow it above the ground. The trees have deep enough roots that it wouldn't get blown over. Granted, they might lose some branches and leaves, but it would clear the soil. It would clear the land. Look, I am 1,000% for using explosive to solve 90% of my problems. I, If you think that environmentalists were pissed at us using herbicides to control invasive species, I feel like they're going to be a lot more pissed about using fucking explosives to control invasive species. Ladies and gentlemen listening, we have definitely taken a turn here. <laughs> but, but not a bad turn. Not a bad turn. A very interesting one. Like, I'm a down. Like, don't get me wrong. If you are literally giving the power to use explosives, I'm not going to say no. Oh, once again, I'm, I'm all for it myself. Yeah, I am pro-explosives. I want to put that on the record. But this seems like a limbo where the private industry wouldn't take the blame because it's the military doing the bombing. Oh, because so the military could... has never garnered any sort of negative press before. No, exactly. We could... You could... <laughs> You could pass the bad press onto the military as a private institute. I don't think the military would even blink of bad press because, I mean, they're they, used to, to they be might fair, not they blink, get very little good press. They do get very little good press. So, However, you're already talking about our military industrial complex, which I couldn't even give you an accurate number on what they currently cost. Like $666 trillion or billion was when we were in high school. It's probably close to a trillion nowadays, eight plus years later. But uh, now you have a, again, not to get too political, you have a one-sided party coverage so of all of our branches. <laughs> the problem is... Like Dan's saying, the problem who's okay with using the military to solve problems doesn't give a shit about invasive species. No, no, here's the thing. This is the perfect, this is the perfect, because you can use the military as a scapegoat. You wouldn't get private blame as a private industry. You'd get the blame of saying, hey, we're just trying to solve invasive species, and the government gave us this much so-and-so, so the government would take the blame of it. So you're passing the blame off to the government, not the private industries. Granted, I'm not for passing the blame, but it seems like a very tactical decision. I'm not for passing the blame but if we're gonna pass the blame i'm okay with blaming the government we can let's pass the blame to them it just seems like it could be very useful to use it as open training or so like i said earlier in the podcast with flamethrowers why not have a we don't use flamethrowers anymore in the division but we do use like elephants and abram chanks that have mine clearing uh equipment on their vehicles so why not use that equipment in that land as testing ground so it's two birds one stone See, now you're getting on something I could definitely get behind because, I mean, uh, not to get way off topic here for a second, but if anybody here is familiar with uh, the show Top Gear with uh, three crazy British boys who ended up going off and doing their own thing with Amazon, uh, at one point there was one episode where they used former uh, military equipment that was used for you know, clearing mines in you know uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and such to destroy a house. Now, if you were able to, you know, the newest version of those technology, obviously that equipment was older and, you know, had had been used at some point or another. If you were able to use the newest generation of mine clearing technology uh, by the military to clear this invasive species out, and so basically someone digs out the land for Nick's company, that I think you could definitely get behind. Oh, well, the military is literally just testing um, our, you know, our newest mine or, EO, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, bomb clearing technology, and they ended up only clearing out some invasive species of blueberry. That would be one hell of a story for someone to put out. We would definitely have to close the area to hunting. While, while they were working at that point, for sure. Yeah, we don't want to put landmines down and then be like, yeah, come in and use this grassland to well, hunt elk. So at, at that point, I'm, I'm saying like you don't even actually put down any sort of explosives. Now, while that would be fun as hell, if literally all you did, because I mean, you both are fairly well versed in such technology and, you know, vehicles that are used to clear tanks. You know, there's something simple as it literally just looks like three mini wrecking balls on chains being spun around and it gets dropped on the ground and it just 
you know, again, it vibrates the ground, hitting it, beating it over and over. And at some point, you're going to set off a bomb. But there are others that are literally just giant augers that you just drop in the ground. It just has a massive piece of metal in between the auger and the machine to keep the operator safe without using any sort of explosives. If you just literally, hey, we just want to test the newest version of this machine without any explosives and just have them drive around the area that Nick has talked about, you're wasting some gas. You're paying one soldier to do it. And if they t tackle all of the blueberries, say for maybe even a small space just to keep the trees safe, you know, stay away from their roots. I mean, that would be one hell of a story. Like, you know, the military is pairing up with, you know, the forestry industry and just taking care of invasive species in their own way. So the current elephants, if I'm not mistaken, besides having magnetic pulses going to the ground for ground penetrating radar, they also use kind of plows into the ground to pick up stuff which are explosive, which break off and such, which I can see very easily plowing the land. But I can also using, um, I believe it's barbed wire clearing. So pretty much for those listening, imagine a harpoon with a bunch of rope at the end of it, but that rope happens to be deck cord. You can l launch that and clear that, but here's the thing. You don't have to use just deck cord. You can coat the outside casing with a herbicide. You can coat the outside with a seeding, which gets blasted by the sonic boom. You can use that explosive to help spread seed distribution. And I see the mill, if you want free labor and you can't get volunteers because some deep land, seems like a perfect reason for some trainee from, for like, someone out of a basic you know basic training or someone going for sniper school or some training going hey come out here work out here this is where your land is keep the land clean because this is our training area during an off season etc etc yeah and i think you're leading into uh and that's that's the the hard part about land management is it touches so many different things whether it's be private property who's operating whatever but if we used like you say explosives like we'd have an area and say that's where they want to train like no worries but like that area should is going to be like scheduled to burn because we're going to reduce the amount of potential for that explosive going off and then starting wild fire this is all biased because i want to blow stuff up so keep that in mind and Fair. i want to burn pretty much everything to reduce the wildfire potential so again bias using that land for other than forestry maybe make it like a fishing lodge maybe using that renting it out or something like that I, this is you're, kind of a snowball i mean so the the problem is it's not on a, like a ssbt with salmon steelhead bull trout stream you're messing your words up more than i am and i'm enjoying this this is our third fucking episode today so you're and to be fair y'all be been y'all been hammering but to be fair y'all been hammering them back so what <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so yes, it could be used as some kind of fishing ranch or hunting ranch hunting. or something it, and it could and that's the thing and and i i think in the future looking in the future we're about to see a lot of land trades very small land trades but land trades that will and affect the entire country just because of we're about to see a lot of ground go from industrial forestry to private ownership we're about to see a lot mm. more construction of houses businesses areas that had previously been forest just because of environment regulations and i want to say in the beginning you said the very beginning, should we do nothing? I don't think doing nothing is the right choice for that situation. No, and that that's something I want to touch on is doing nothing is really regarded as an option, and I think it's fucking stupid. I Doing nothing is worth, like, it's tough for me to do literally nothing because... Like I said, this land, if we don't do anything, which is, it, it, like Mike said, it's an option. We can do nothing. We can let blackberries just overtake everything. That's fine. Is that right? I think most people would say no absolutely not i mean again like for you know my viewpoint is from the business standpoint that's when i went to school for you know i'm an investor i'm an entrepreneur blah blah blah, blah. so that's why i'm looking at it definitely from a different perspective as you and definitely from mike but i mean if you guys are able to 
minimize, you know, focusing your resources on this problem, which again, it's, it's may not be the most urgent issue that you need to deal with at this point in time. But after a couple weeks, a month, even a year, it all of a sudden is overgrown and it's like, oh shit, we need to take care of this now. I mean, if you're able to minimize your own focus and risk on that, you know, like you put somebody on there to take care of it, whether it's, you know, again, I know you said herbicides are bad, but whether you use herbicides or you use explosives, um, I'm always explo- a big fan of explosives. Or you use explosives or you use flamethrowers uh, and, and such. Biggest thing, I mean, just from the business standpoint, lower costs, increased margin, all that kind of jazz. So if you're able to just put it forward, you know, and not cost you anything, but also give yourself the the positive boost of, you know, working with the community and working with volunteers or building a, you know, a, you know, reform program through the, the convict system, you know, that just, well, the, the prison system, like Mike mentioned earlier, I mean, that's, that's, uh, to, for me, that's the way to go. Don't get me wrong. All of a sudden, you bring explosives and military into it. Like, okay, that sounds like bang up fucking it's fun. Like a but good fucking time. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, from the business standpoint, it doesn't cost you guys a dime. You get positive exposure. I mean, again, like, technically, there's no bad publicity as long as they get your name right. But if you're doing nothing but good and you build that publicity as well, I mean, that's that's the way to go. No, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I really like Dan's idea of bringing like essentially quote unquote our enemy into free the free labor or something free labor or or just people because that and that's a, that's the, the the conundrum about the forest products industry is we like to think of ourselves as environmentalists and not, I think we qualify we are on the same side as a lot of the quote unquote environmentalists and yet we are tearing each other's throats neither of us want invasive species to populate the entire landscape that seems like a, something we could all rally around and Dan's right like we could help we could use these people who want to help but don't know what to do if we could organize them just use sit like literally social media could help us do that that's like such a good fucking idea. Like I said, I brought this to you guys because I don't know what the fuck to do. It's a conundrum. Facebook group it sounds like the easiest solution to it. Like what like Dan what Dan was saying with volunteers. I mean, absolutely. And, and whether or not you want to promote your exact company, you know, right now. But I mean, again, you guys use your own personal pages. I'm I'm sure you guys have them just for the sake of having them and nobody stealing your you know intellectual property, so to speak. I mean, that's not right. But like you know, taking your domain really is the way to get it. But yeah, like, no, like Dan's completely right. Like this, we found a unique opportunity of where environmentalists and foresters, people who quote unquote profit off the environment and people who want to protect the environment, we, we can meet here in the middle. And this is our opportunity to build a relationship between the two to say we have common interest and common goals. We need help because we can't pay for this. Like it, it financially doesn't make sense. And I like to be what I call a practical philosopher. I understand what's right and wrong, but I also understand the economy. There's, there's, there, those two things are very different. We need to do both of those. We want to understand, we know what's right, but how do we pay for it? Well, that's an entirely different question. It seems like there's a lot of solutions, a lot of possibilities, all that need to be weighed and measured. It's a complex question for a very simple task of, hey, how do we use this land and keep invasive species out? But it's not so cut and dry. Essentially, what we're saying is, point, like, <laughs> pokey plant bad, get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we meet we well, we reached the pinnacle of Nick's conversation skills. So so if you have any ideas, I would love to hear what your ideas are. And I'm sure Nick would love to hear other people's opinions to try to get whatever they can. And Nick, where can they tell us the ideas that they come up with? Find us on YouTube and on Instagram, it'll also be there as well. Can they find us on uh, Twitter? Uh, no, because no good ideas actually ever come from Twitter. 
And Dan, if we want to find more of you, what is your handle or notification? Well, I'm not that special, but I do have an Instagram. My handle is at uh, DanRamTheMan22. If y'all want to mention the Backyard Philosophy Podcast, whenever you message me, I'm a private profile. I don't like talking to, to weirdos, but if you got some good conversation, I'm always down. And I must say... Thank you for our first guest on the podcast, Mr. Dan Ramirez. Bravo, and thank you. And any final words, gentlemen? Uh, you know, again, thank you for having me. I am definitely severely unqualified for this topic, but I, I had a great time talking with my friends about you know a pretty important you know issue. Well, I think we hit a broad stroke of possibilities for this complex problem. And I, as always, I want to say thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram.